Marketing. From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for NextGen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the NextGen Advisory Task Force, and for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up-and-coming financial advisors. Hey all, it's Alana Phillips here with Ekana Anya Gafu, Director of Planning at Bay Street Capital. Thanks for being here with me today, Ekana. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to have the conversation today. I am too. And I want to start off with your story, who you are, why we're having this conversation for our listeners. So can you share with us a little bit about how you started in this industry and, and what drew you to this profession? For myself, initially out of High school actually wanted to be a pilot. And so I was at the University of North Dakota studying aviation and then uh, found out what pilots made and said, whoa, that's <laughs> not what I am really looking to really any steps towards that direction. And so I really started thinking of, you know, what type of things are out there? And I Googled and found finance. And so uh, that's actually how I even found it as a major. And something that I realized pretty quickly is that even in college that quite frankly, this just wasn't something that was taught. And the more that I realized that I didn't know about simple money concepts, really the more and more that I wanted to experience it. And so that's kind of how I even found the industry. Uh, you know, initially wanted to be a pilot to this day, I am a private pilot, but uh, more so wanted to make something more lucrative and then really fell in love with it while in college. I love it. I cannot tell you how often I ask this question to advisors and or other folks in our, our profession as well. And they all wanted to be something else. I have yet to meet somebody that said, you know, when they grew up, they wanted to be a financial advisor, or financial planner of some sort. So I thank goodness for Google that there's information out there. And hopefully this podcast is a good resource for folks. So um, you've worked at a few different firms. Can you talk a little bit about that journey where you started and, and where you're at now? It's interesting. So uh, out of uh, coming out of college, I had a finance and economics degree, also have a behavioral science degree as well. Uh, and essentially, you know, in my mind, obviously, I'm from California. So Wall Street was very much something that you would find in the movies. But that's where I started. I said, well, maybe I'll get a job on Wall Street. And I quickly found out that you have to have different licenses. There's a lot of commission only jobs. And really, I ended up in the situation where the places that wanted me to start, you know, kind of those entry level places wouldn't really allow me to live in New York, quite frankly. Uh, and so I thought about commuting from New Jersey and kept looking the places that could pay the money. You know, they wanted more experience, which didn't make sense, you know, it's entry level or more licenses, once again, still didn't make sense. Uh, and so I got lucky in the opportunity that uh, essentially Charles Schwab worked with this athlete networks group. Uh, so I played college football um, and they were able to make the introduction. And I started my career uh, in the phone center in Phoenix, uh, taking inbound phone calls uh, at Charles Schwab. So you really started from the ground up there, uh, uh, call center to, I think, what you're doing now in terms of the director of planning. So give me some observations that maybe our listeners are seeing as they're working at firms like a Schwab and moving up the ranks. What are some of the things that you've noticed over the course of your career? Some of the bigger companies, right? It's somewhat of a, hey, you know, put your time in. And as you put the time in, um, you know, that's where you'll start to see kind of the increase in titles and 
in knowledge, increase in money. But for me, you know, that ambition kind of got the best of me. I said, hey, I want it now. And luckily at Schwab, they had a financial consulting academy in which I was able to join uh, and did very well through that. And so it, it kind of pushed me forward. And so the only thing I would say to someone who's also in the career is, you know, if you feel that you're being stagnant, it's probably because you're being stagnant. Uh, and, you know, look for opportunities is, is kind of my number one advice. Yeah, I love it. You mentioned something interesting to me in a previous conversation, Ekana, about the types of clients that you worked with at the beginning of your career versus the folks that you're working with now. Can you give our listeners a little insight into how that has changed for you? Yeah, absolutely. And so when I first started off at Schwab, coming right out of the Financial Consultant Academy, I was an associate financial consultant. They have, quote unquote, a $50,000 minimum, at least in my branch in San Francisco, it did. But realistically, you can work with anyone. And it was interesting that, you know, the more that I did for the AFC role, the more the minimum kind of crept up where, okay, hey, it's not at that minimum, maybe have them work with the phone team was something that the manager would say sometimes. When I left Schwab, I went to TD Ameritrade. Their financial consultants have a $100,000 minimum. Quickly was promoted from a financial consultant to a senior financial consultant. They had a $250,000 minimum. And then by the time I was leaving, essentially, if you didn't have a million dollars to work with me, you essentially weren't talking with me. And so what I found out pretty quick was that, you know, if you have a million dollar limit, regardless if you're in California, now given this is Silicon Valley, that you're going to find yourself with a lot of clients that don't necessarily look like you, don't come from backgrounds like you, and, and as a whole, just aren't that familiar, right? Now, yes, they have a ton of money and it, it's great for your own pocketbooks and to be able to help someone, you know, it's just easier to help someone who has a lot. But, you know, I really wanted to find clients that look like me. And I think after George Floyd, it really catapulted me to say, well, how can I work with people that look like me or that come from similar situations? And that's when I joined Bay Street. I joined Bay Street in July, 2020. Yeah, that's excellent. I, for our audience that can't see you, Ekana, because obviously I can see you and I'm assuming you're not talking about clients that have beautiful beards. When you (laughs) say that (laughs) you're looking for clients that look like you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm from South Sacramento. I'm, I'm Nigerian American, but I'm very much check the list of being African American and you know everyone else's eyes. And so I definitely want to work with people. I mean, I work with anyone. Like I'm, not, I'm not saying hey, I'll only work with black people. But I realized that it wasn't on average that a person was coming through the doors to have those conversations. You know, when you look at just overall um, how people even looking at investing, you know, Black people look at it from each perspective where our Caucasian peers are looking at it from an age, almost a rite of passage. And so I spend a lot of time really trying to educate people that, hey, you don't have to be ultra wealthy to have a financial plan. And Bay Street has given me the platform to be able to do that and to do it effectively across my network. Thanks, Ekana. I'm going to pause us there and we'll take a quick break. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP. 
I like what you said, right? You don't have to be ultra wealthy to have a financial plan. Definitely not to need a financial plan. I think often when you have less money is when you need to be better at planning. So how has going to Bay Street helped to change up how you work with people or what does your model look like now versus what it looked like then? easiest way to put it is I have control over who I work with. Uh, you know, I have a business partner in Bay Street. I don't have a boss at TD Ameritrade. And I, once again, I like TD Ameritrade. Uh, you know, they treated me very well. Went on a war trip. So I, just to be clear, I'm not putting them down. But, you know, you do have a manager that's looking at things from a bottom line of, hey, you're spending an hour, two hours with this person getting to know them. And they're not going to do anything to move you towards your goals of, you know, winning those awards. Where here it's, yeah, you know, I have slight longer days but you know obviously I'm servicing clients that do in fact you know put additional dollars in my pocket but now I have the ability even within the daytime not just kind of as a pro bono outside of business hours to help people who I you know consider need help and not all of those people have money to invest is, is my own opinion Sure. Yeah. I think one of the issues I hear from these larger companies is just that they think that folks that don't reach these minimums and maybe look a little more like me than like you, right? That the wider, the richer, that those are the folks, those are the only folks that have money. Those are the only people that need financial planning. And there needs to be sort of a fundamental shift of that. It seems like you have built a successful business not quite in that model. So it must work, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that we look at it as, hey, everyone deserves a plan and via different payment plans and or just adjusting the price of the overall financial plan that we're able to really cater to people who historically wouldn't have been able to get a sophisticated plan. So you mentioned there were some points in your career where you really had a deciding moment to go this direction. Was George Floyd's death, is that what you're saying, was the the pivot point for you of you had to make this change? Or when was the deciding moment for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it was always in the back of my mind, you know, it's one thing if you're helping someone, uh, and you know, it's going to put dollars in your pocket, but I actually always felt good about helping people where it's like, hey, this actually isn't going to benefit me. But I think down the line, like you, your family, your kids will be able to reach out or hopefully say, hey, thank you for putting me in a better position, right? So that's the gratification where I was getting from that. And I realized that obviously, you know, I'm a financial advisor. Uh, I myself love to have money, right? Just to be clear, but you know, it, it really was a better feeling overall being able to help everyone and stuff. That, and then after seeing the George Floyd thing and realizing that, you know, why am I not doing this kind of on my own or for minority uh, is kind of what I, you know, it just painted a picture for me. And so because of that, I'm at Bay Street, we're 100% minority owned, and it's been a great decision. I think the accolades that we've received over the last couple of months has really pointed towards that. That's awesome. That purpose behind it makes it, I know you were saying you've had meetings from 8 a.m. our time here on the West Coast, and you'll continue on till late into this evening that that purpose, I think, helps to make it feel less like a grind, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hear the saying all the time, you know, if you love what you do, you're never really working. I don't 100% believe that because, you know, at times I'd much rather be on the beach. But uh, I, I do believe that when you truly feel that you're getting something out, pass a monetary game that allows you to kind of keep that passion and fire going. 
Yeah, I think our listeners will certainly appreciate that. So to wrap up this portion of our conversation, Ekana, can you give some advice? So if there are folks, I mean, when we're looking at the population of financial advisors, it is pretty dismal. I was looking at the Census Bureau's most updated numbers. We're at 6% of financial advisors identify as Black or African American. And that's just crazy, right? So, but for the folks that are in your shoes, whatever nationality, ethnicity that they are, that isn't the dominant ethnicity in financial services, what advice? do you have for them on, you know, how to make these choices about their career and who they work with? I definitely would look at Google, right? You can Google and get an understanding. Glassdoor does a great job of kind of labeling, hey, do they treat their minority employees well? Are you in a position of success, right? Um, I don't like the term diversity hire because, you know, that's saying that someone only got the role because of their skin and color or appearance. But, you know, you do want to make sure that you really are going to be in a position to succeed. And, you know, as you're starting to interview, you know, finding people on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'm thinking of looking uh, at this role. I think a lot of people will take the time and, you know, take a 10 minute call to give you a rundown of, hey, is this the place you really want to be? If you can't find anyone who would take the time that I think that itself is a red flag to a small extent. I love it. I appreciate what you just said about the diversity hire thought too, because I know this is something you're an advocate for in the industry or diversity and inclusion efforts. I, I think about this and in financial services, unfortunately, as a woman, I'm often a minority in a room. And, and right. I, I think about all the time, if somebody were to hire me as a woman, it's because they need me, right? I would make that argument. You need my perspective. You need the perspective of somebody different from everybody else in this room. And I hope that, you know, our listeners would feel empowered to think that too. This isn't like you're saying, just a diversity hire. The teams that you are looking at need new perspectives, new ideas, new experiences, like what you shared with us today. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. Um, Average person, when you ask them what's a financial advisor, will say 60-year-old white male. Mm -hmm. Um, Two of the three I don't have. And for you, you're (laughs) two of the three as well. And so understanding that, hey, to change what people think of the profession, that it takes time, but everyone working towards that goal will get us there eventually. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I know we're going to continue this conversation about diversity, but thank you so much for sharing your experience for our listeners to hear what you've been through and some of your advice. Thank you. And thanks for having me. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. This has been Next Gen in 10, brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.